Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good? Great? Peachy keen? Billy Bray was an evangelist many years ago. Um, he had heard about this woman who um, was praising, shouting praises to God while she was dying. And he said, if a dying woman can shout praises to God, certainly a living man can shout praises to God. Amen? And so we need to be praising the Lord with every breath that we have. Praise the Lord. All right, let me just... Uh, uh, open this time here with a brief prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, your word is filled with life and truth. Father, I pray that you would open up your word to us this morning. God, that you would give us a deeper understanding than we've had before, and that the words on the pages of our Bibles will become living words in our hearts and produce fruit in our lives. I just thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, several months ago, I heard a sermon by Dan Farley and began to stir some things in my heart and it just some truths there that I thought were interesting. And so I want to share uh, in that vein this morning. I've, I've titled what I'm going to share today, Goodness, and hopefully that'll make sense as we go on. Uh, every congregation has certain uh, aspects of the Bible that they tend to focus on and minister and teach into. Uh, and as a congregation, one of the areas that we minister into is an attribute of God that we highly value, and that is that God is love. And uh, love, it, love is who God is. It's part of his essence, is part of his character. You cannot separate God from love. And, 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 and in a world that is increasingly rejecting God, we see love becoming more and more perverted because you cannot separate God from love. Um, <clears throat> 1 John 4, 8 says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We also place a high value on prayer and worship as a means to develop this relationship with this God of love. Uh, prayer and worship opens the door for us to have an encounter with God. It, it brings us into the presence of God. Uh, another attribute, which is where I want to talk about this morning, uh, that we place a high value on uh, is that God is good. And I want to talk about that. Again, goodness is part of his essence. It's part of his character. You cannot separate God from his goodness. However, have we taken time to consider what it means for us that God is good? What are the ramifications for mankind that the creator of the world is good? What are the ramifications for us as believers, that the God we have chosen to serve is good. And so I want to look at that this morning. Psalm 100 verse 5 says, The Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and His faithfulness to all generations. Luke 18, 19 says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. <clears throat> now, in looking at the goodness of God, I think it's, helpful for us to define what we mean when we say God is good. So I want to give us four principles, truths concerning that. Number one, God is everything that is good and he has no evil in himself. Right? God is everything that's good and he has no evil in himself. Number two, goodness is part of his nature and he cannot contradict his own nature. 
Then number three, coming out of the first two, is therefore God always acts in accordance with his nature, right? Which is good. And number four, everything God does is right, true, and good. Amen? Amen? Do we believe that? Even in difficult times? Okay. Um, This means that God's goodness extends from his nature to everything that he does. God God always does what is right, and the outcome of his plans and purposes are always good. Psalm 119, 68, the psalmist says, God, you are good and you do good. And so I want us to understand what it means that God is good and how that affects the way we should be living our lives. Now, the first thing I want to look at is God and evil. Uh, First, if God is good, what about evil? God did not create evil. Evil is the absence of goodness. It is whatever God is not. Does that make sense? 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Therefore, because God is good, and because he abhors evil and sin, he must judge sin in the end. It is never, I believe, the, the will of God, the purpose of God for us as his creation to walk in sin or to in any way embrace evil. And uh, as, the, as the culture that we're living in today rejects God more and more, the idea of goodness is becoming unanchored from reality and therefore becoming perverted. Just like love's becoming perverted, uh, we see uh, goodness becoming perverted. Uh, perverted to and losing all sense of reality. I, it's amazing. The rational human beings can embrace some of the stuff our culture is embracing today. Now, this is really important. Another attribute of God is that God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. God, the Bible's clear, God is all-powerful. Now, think about this. If God is, all, if God is an all-powerful being that can do anything he wants to do, and we do not know he is good, that would be frightening. Think about that for a minute. If God's an all-powerful being, can do anything he wanted to do with us, whatever, he, did, he, every, he can do anything with us, and we do not know he's good, that would be a frightening situation that we would find ourselves in. And that's why it's so important that we settle in our hearts and our minds now, ahead of time, before things come, that God is good. I also believe that knowing that God is good should lead to, lead to a heart of thanksgiving and gratefulness and gratitude. In Psalm 107, verse 1, the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Not only is God good, but He's revealed Himself to mankind as a moral God. A God who has defined how human life should operate and what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior. You cannot teach values and morality apart from God because without God, there's no standard of morality. And that's the problem we have today. That's why morality is just, it's a mess. Because we're trying to teach it without God. And there's, no, there's nothing to anchor it into. Peter Kreef said this, No society has ever survived without morality, and no morality has ever survived without a transcendent source. In other words, without a God. 
Morality cannot survive in a nation without God. And again, as our culture rejects God, our sense of morality becomes more and more distorted. And I could go into all the ways we've distorted it, but I will leave that for another day. Um, because God is good, He has an expectation as to how, as His created beings, we should live our lives. And because God is good, He expects us to be good. It's interesting that if you look, go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you look at the story of uh, Adam and Eve in, in the garden, when Satan tempted Eve, he convinced her. Remember, what, what God told Adam and Eve to do was what? Not eat of the only thing, the only thing, the prohibition he put on them was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so when Satan tempted Eve, Eve, he convinced her that God was withholding something good from her and therefore God was not good. And once Eve was convinced that God was not good, it was easy for her to rebel against him. And I think we're seeing the same struggle today in our own lives and our culture. The more we reject God, the more easier it is to just rebel against God and forget him altogether. As our culture drifts from an understanding that God is good, rebellion against God is increasing. And that's why it's so important that you and I determine in our hearts that God is good. We establish that as a truth that no matter what happens in the world, in our lives, we will never doubt the fact that God is good. When uh, Adam sinned, the Bible says that sin entered into the world of men. In Romans 5.12 it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So all of mankind is sinful, and all of mankind is in need of a Savior. And God is looking for transformation to undo the effects of sin and make us again, make us again look like Him. For us to become conformed to His image. I'm thankful that God loves me. I'm thankful for the grace that He extends to me. But I also want to respond to the reality of His goodness and be transformed or changed to become like Him. When we talk about being good, we're not just talking about behavior. We're talking about being like God. When we're talking about being good. We're talking about being like God. God gave mankind something different than he gave to the rest of creation. Man is not just a glorified animal. We were given part of his character and created to bear his image into this world in which we live. Adam and Eve were free to choose God's way or their own way. And what did they do? They chose their own way. And I believe personally we struggle with the same issue today. Even as believers, every day we're going to face some situation where we have to choose between God's way and our own way. And we have to make a decision and decide what we're going to do. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be... Holy yourselves in all your behavior. That means to me that, that much of life is a journey to becoming good and loving goodness. To be clear, I, I just want to be clear on this. You cannot earn salvation by good behavior. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is very clear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But in other words, God forgives our sin. He pronounces us not guilty. He gives us His righteousness. He adopts us into His family, and He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. However, it must not stop there. The next step must be transformation and change where we are conformed into the image of God. Titus 2, 11 and 12 is two verses that have always stood out to me. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. We know the grace of God comes to bring salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. What are ungodly and worldly desires? Well, I think those are questions that each one of us are going to have to answer individually. What am I doing with my life? What, am I, what, what is God saying to me about living sensibly? What is God saying to me about living righteously? What is God saying to me about living godly in this day in which I am alive? What is God saying? What is God speaking? Are we even listening? It's so easy to, to drink the Kool-Aid and, and, and follow the moral the values of this culture without even wondering if it contradicts or aligns with the Word of God. So we need to ask God to instruct us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in, in this age in which we live. God purchased us to be good and to do good. You know, what we're really talking about is the process of sanctification. Sanctification is simply to make holy or to set apart for the purposes of God. But sanctification really involves Two distinct truths. Number one, sanctification is a status supernaturally conferred on us. We are set apart for the purposes of God. It's like, I don't know if people do this anymore, but I know my mother used to have a good set of china. And it, she, she would not use it for common everyday wear. She would only bring it out on special occasions. And the people of God are really the same way. We've been set apart from evil and set apart for the righteous purposes of God. Just like that good set of china. We're not meant to be used for everyday evil purposes, but for the righteous purposes of God. We see this principle in Psalm verse, chapter 4, verse 3, where the psalmist says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. Think about that for a minute. If you're a believer, then God has set you apart for himself. For His divine purposes. We have been given the righteousness of Christ in place of our own corrupt righteousness so we can reflect the goodness of God to the world around us. So, sanctification is first a status supernaturally conferred on us. But it's also, the second point, a grace that we cooperate with as we learn what it means to be good. It's a grace that we cooperate with as we learn what it means to be good. Sanctification is a reality that you and I are called to walk out in our lives. Amen? Let, let me use marriage as an example for a minute. 
<clears throat> you get up the morning of your wedding day and you're not married. But later that day, you find yourself married. A status has been conferred, uh, uh, conferred on you. You are now a husband or a wife. And now you must live out that reality and you'll, live, you'll spend the rest of your married life trying to live out the reality of the status that was conferred on you that you are now married. Does that make any sense? And it's the same way for us as believers. As we are learning how to live sanctified, set-apart, holy lives. But the Lord has not left us helpless in this, in this whole process. Um, he, he's given us the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide us and the grace of God to empower us. He's given the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit of God lives inside of every believer to guide us through this life and the grace of God to empower us to live a godly life. In other words, we embrace the grace God has given us to live up to the status He's conferred on us. Does that make sense? We, we embrace the grace that God has given us so we can live up to the status that he's conferred on us. God is calling us to be a noble and virtuous people. And I, and one of the things I asked the Lord in sharing with this sermon this morning is God, speak to my heart as much as I want God to speak to your heart. That I would be a noble and virtuous person. That I would reject ungodly desires. And I would deny unrighteous activity. And I would accurately reflect the image of God to the world around us. Sometimes we, we reflect a very distorted image. And God wants to clear up that image. Now some people like to say that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, I would say you were a sinner saved by grace. But God's design for you is to become noble and virtuous. He changes our identity from a sinner saved by grace to a righteous person set apart for the purposes of God. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God to again become like Him and accurately reflect His image to the world around us. So what does it mean for you and I to be good? If we're destined to become good, then we should probably define what it means to be good. The problem with man began back in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden, God defined what was good and evil. God clearly defined for Adam and Eve what was good and evil. God told man in the Garden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, he says this, The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the Garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And so, if we look at this, in other words, good was everything other than eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good was everything other than eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And evil was not trusting God and doing the one thing God asked man not to do. Perhaps the bigger issue in the Garden of Eden was who gets to define what is good and what is evil. I think our culture, maybe even ourselves, are constantly redefining what is good and what is evil to benefit ourselves and our desires and our wishes. 
God is looking for a people to cooperate with his definition of good and evil. I want to look for a moment, um, I, think that, I feel like this is relevant, at the purpose of the Mosaic Law. People say that, I'm not under the law, I'm under the grace of God. Well, that's true. However, it was through the Mosaic Law that God was equipping His people to be able to distinguish between good and evil. In Romans 7, 7, it says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On, on, on the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. And so one purpose of the Mosaic Law was to help the people of God understand, distinguish between good and evil according to his definition of good and evil, not according to our definition. The problem is not the law. The problem is the desires of our flesh. Anybody wrestle with the desires of your flesh? Any, I am the greatest rationalizer. I can... I, well, I'll come in second then. I can rationalize my way out of anything. <clears throat> anyway... <clears throat> If we decide to steal or covet or commit adultery, it is much more than breaking a commandment. It is being disloyal to God and His goodness. It's defaming who He is. In the end, we need to ask ourselves, are we choosing to not trust God just like Eve when He told her not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Those are challenging questions. I find those to be challenging questions in my own life. Another portion of Scripture I want to look at here as we kind of get toward the end of this um, is the Sermon on the Mount. In many ways, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is a call to goodness. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus again reminds us what goodness is. For example, Matthew 5.21, he says, You have heard that the ancients were told you should not commit murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. In Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your, your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is teaching us what goodness looks like from his perspective. He's not concerned just about physical murder, but he's concerned with the condition of our hearts. Are we harboring anger, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness? I believe that we have been given an incredible opportunity to learn the culture of God's kingdom and how to live in it. And if we're not looking into the Word of God and seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit through prayer, then we're never going to understand the kingdom of God and be able to live in it ungodly and, uh, uh, and righteously. Yeah. Let me just issue a word of caution here, though, particularly in today's culture. We must avoid creating our own definition of what is good because God has already defined what is good and what is evil. And it's defined clearly in the Word of God. Now, um, kind of before I close, one of the last areas I want to address is the question of tragedies. 
Even should a tragedy strike our lives, it does not change the truth that God is good. If we do not embrace this, then when things go wrong, we might find ourselves rebelling against God and making accusations against God like Eve did in the garden. In any tragedy we face, the enemy will always defame the goodness of God. Because once we are convinced God is not good, then we can easily rebel against him. Never doubt that God is good and God is calling us to be nothing less than like him. Now, I know what I'm saying is difficult. You face a tragedy in your life that you, it's like, God, why? I don't understand. Why'd you have to take that person? Why'd you have to do this? Why'd you have to do that? Like God did it. That's why it's so important we secure ahead of time certain truths that you will never doubt. And one of those truths is God is good. Another truth is God loves me. Another truth is God is just. We need to secure those truths in our heart, regardless of what happens in the world around us, regardless of what happens in our own lives. The Bible does say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I would encourage you to expose yourself to the word of God so that you are fully convinced that God is good and that God loves you and that God is just. So just to kind of wind this up with a couple uh, last thoughts. Ultimately, God's goodness is seen in his plan to save mankind from sin and death through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is undeserved love, but it's also the power to transform and to change us, to conform us into his image. When we talk about goodness and virtue, we're not talking about works. However, I would say this. Grace may be opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. I cannot earn my salvation, but I must cooperate with the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation in my life. To resist temptation and choose God's way takes work and can be painful at times. It takes courage to make room for the refining fire of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation into our lives. He has given us, though, His grace so we can be good, noble, and virtuous. Let Psalm 51.10 be the cry of our hearts. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now I know I can't create a clean heart. I am totally dependent upon God. Totally dependent upon God to clean things up in here. And it does take effort. I can't earn my salvation, but I can cooperate with the Holy Spirit as He works in my life. We've been adopted into the family of God as true sons and daughters with all the commensurate authority and rich inheritance of God's kingdom. 
We're royalty, and now it's time for us to act like royalty. Amen? All right, let's go out there and be good. Thank <clears throat> you.